episode 43. Today, I speak with Zach Silverswag from Cypher Health about connecting the dots to better healthcare. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. There's a great quote by Seth Godin that I love, which is, you shouldn't be finding customers for your products. What you should be doing is finding products for your customers. Today, I'm speaking with Zach Silverswag from Cypher Health. And I, I would suggest that Cypher Health has done a pretty good job making that Seth Godin quote into some kind of manifesto. They have been around for about five years and in the space of that time have developed one, two, three, four, five products, which were devised based on their customer needs and what they heard in the marketplace. So each subsequent product, and maybe even the first one, was developed based on what customers said they needed in gaps, which the founders of Cypher Health had identified in the marketplace. My name is Stacy Richter, and this podcast is sponsored by Franklin HealthCom. Welcome to Relentless Health Value, Zach. Good morning. Let's talk about Cypher Health. You, you founded the company with two others. How did this come to be? Cypher Health got started uh, really as a direct result of the Affordable Care Act. We looked at it as a pretty ideal opportunity for a group of entrepreneurs to get a foothold in the acute care hospital space. That market had been notoriously difficult to enter, but yet I think everybody who's been to a hospital knows that there's so many different challenges and, and you see paper lying around and all these kinds of things that, that would lead you to believe that there's just a tremendous opportunity for entrepreneurs. So what was, I think, really exciting about the beginning of the company was the, the, just this, this combination of events. And so having the Affordable Care Act come out, creating really powerful financial incentives for hospitals to reduce readmissions and, and improve the patient experience, we were able to sort of ride that, ride that wave and get our foot in the door in a way that wasn't probably possible earlier for, for a team of entrepreneurs like, like we were. How exactly did you get your foot in the door? What was the opportunity that Cypher Health specifically capitalized on or the gap that you chose to, to fill? I think the biggest impact that we had initially and, and the, the reason that we were able to really get started as, as we did uh, was a focus on reducing readmissions. So we had created a, a platform to reach out to patients after they went home. And the idea is that the ACA extended what was needed from the hospital and made the hospital responsible for looking at what happened to the patient after they left the four walls, after after they went home. So we have a, a product called Voice that reaches out to the patients after they go home, identifies those that are having a, a problem, and then routes an alert to someone in the hospital to resolve that concern. And that model is, you know, pretty straightforward, but it's extremely effective. And so we were able to reduce readmission rates by 30%, 40%. We, we had a case study at uh, Bronx, Lebanon, where we reduced readmissions by 70% for an acute care, uh, acute asthma patients. There was a poster that they presented at a conference and really helped us solidify ourselves as, as a company that's able to move the needle on readmissions. How did you figure that out? You know, how did you figure out that a simple phone call wasn't happening and would have that dramatic effect? Here, I'd actually point to Alex, one of the, the co-founders. He had done a tremendous amount of research on the space of readmissions, uh, both when he was uh, an undergrad and then when he first came on at Cypher. And 
you know, I think really identified this as being an interesting way that we could go about it. I mean, there's, there's a ton of work and research that goes into trying to identify factors that lead to readmission. So things like risk scoring and, and uh, stratification algorithms and, and those things are important, but what they're missing and what we've, what we've now you know, pretty much proven that they're missing is what's going on in the patient's head. The strongest predictor of readmissions that we've seen is asking the patient after they leave the hospital, how do you feel compared to when you were discharged? And if I'm, you know, just think about it from, from a really human perspective, if I feel worse than when I left the hospital and it's seven days or 14 days after discharge, I'm really likely to go back to the ED. I'm really likely to go, you know, go back to, to the hospital to try and, and feel better. It makes, makes a lot of sense. So we did some focus groups at some local hospitals. We talked to a lot of different patients and providers about the program. And, you know, and then we were fortunate to find a few hospitals and hospital systems that wanted to be early adopters, wanted to test out this model and the results were, were absolutely immediate. I think, you know, we went from a place where uh, very few folks were doing any phone calls or, or they were trying to do it manually. And so they were, you know, maybe there would be an inspection that would come in, JCO would come into a hospital or there'd be a, a really high patient census. So they wouldn't be able to call the patients. So by being able to do it really consistently, we were, we were able to move the needle pretty substantially at the, at the pilot sites and then build off that case study experience for, you know, the first wave of customers, the next, the next 10. And is it a, a a human that calls the the patient, or is it some sort of uh, technology? <laughs> it's a it's a robocall. It's a technology. Okay. Uh, no, it, it was really funny. We we like to joke. My my mom in particular, when I talked to her about this business, she said, "So so it's a robocall." <laughs> and <laughs> uh, you know, she she sent me to a good school and this whole thing, and I, I heard the whole the whole song and dance. But you know, the reality is, it's it's a really effective way to reach a high volume of patients. Right? You've got a, an ED; they're seeing 120 patients a day. There are only going to be 15 or 20 that have a problem, but you really don't know which which 15 or 20 they are. So you you would end up calling all of these different patients and what it would take a lot of time. And so you've got a nurse who's on the phone for hours a day making phone calls. And instead what we're we're able to do is kind of bring them bring them right back to the bedside. So we do the triage work, we find out who's got a problem and then the alerts and the and the challenges are routed back to to the nurse who can do an intervention. So it's really there's an automated process, but there's a lot of a human there's a lot of human elements. And what we're trying to do is just make it very, very easy to connect the the nurses, the case management team, the physicians in some cases back with the patients and eliminate any of the barriers and, and any of the wasted time in, in that process. It sounds like a model for efficiency in that you're having the computer identify the patterns, you know, identify the patients that have the potential for trouble so that the limited human resources that are available can really focus on in places that are going to matter as opposed to trying to be screeners. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And I think our calling platform is a product that focuses on that after the patient goes home. But that concept of triage and trying to identify the patient problems and trying to get those problems to the right person in the organization to resolve a concern, that's a consistent model that we're kind of aiming at with each of our different products. So after after we had uh, such success with voice, we started to look back at you know, what are the things going on while the patient's still in the hospital to drive that experience? And we developed a rounding tool to, to help the hospitals better understand that. The goal there is, is the same, just, just as you were saying. It's you capture information from the patient, you find out what the, right, what the problem is, and then you transfer that problem, you, you route that problem throughout the organization to a team that's designed to solve it. So basically what happened is you rolled out voice about five years ago, and then 
further identified additional issues that you could solve. I, I think this is actually really interesting what you did. And instead of kind of building them into voice, you began to develop a platform of different products that all work together. Yeah, that's exactly right. It, it's been it's been a really interesting road to have these conversations with the providers we're working with, identify the needs that they have, and and help narrow them narrow them into you know these these specific products. The rounding tool, I think, is is was our first example of it. It was a it was a really great opportunity where we were working with folks at Centera uh, and at uh, Davis, which is a, a hospital in West Virginia. And in both cases, they had been longstanding voice customers. In both cases, they had seen dramatic improvement, but our constantly pushing to move the needle there you know it's not it's not about getting a readmission penalty it's about providing exceptional care for our patients it's about trying to get to zero readmissions for for our chf patients even though we're still paid when uh, you know at some level for for the quantity of service delivered so what they wanted to do was just to put more structure around how the how the nursing team, nurse leadership teams were engaging the patients while they were in the hospital, and at the same time reduce some of the workload. So what what would happen is a nurse would round on a patient, and in that patient's room, the garbage would need to be taken out, or there'd be a food service complaint. And what Orchid allowed the nurses to do was instead of having to write all that stuff down on paper, finish their rounds, go to a phone, call up the different teams throughout the hospital, all of that process now happens automatically. So by the time the nurse manager is rounding on patient number three, the environmental service team has already come to take out the trash in for the first patient that was rounded on. What is that what does that actually look like? You know, so I'm a nurse and I wander into patient room one and I see this garbage. <laughs> how does how does this automation occur? Yeah, so there's a uh, so there's an iPad uh, there's an iPad application. It also works on a, a workstation on Wheels or on an Android tablet. And I'm I'm basically I'm performing an interaction. So I'm looking at some observational things about the room. I want to make sure that all of the patient's personal items are within within reach. You know, it's a, a big fall risk if they have to get out of bed and they're not ready to get out of bed and, and grab an item that's not in reach. So I try and try and get that done. I make sure that the whiteboard is completely filled out according to the process that we have in place. And uh, these make things sure- are, are teed up in the app itself. So in other words, the app says, check and make sure these things, it's like a checklist. Exactly. Yeah. We're taking a, a lot of thought and idea out of the checklist manifesto idea and, and applying that to nurse rounds. So we're able to make sure that things are happening really consistently. That's, I think that's another big point. You know, I mentioned it with, with voice, with the rounding tool as well. It's really, uh, there's a lot of things that happen in a hospital that make it very challenging to execute some of the standard processes every single time, every single week, every single month. You know, it could be a, a big ice storm in the Northeast and all of a sudden uh, the ED is, is flooded with falls. And so then, you know, the whole process in the hospital has to change a little bit. And having a tool that you can come back to that just says, okay, these are the five things that we're going to check for. And these are the four questions that we're going to ask the patient. And we're just going to try and ask them this, you know, once per day or once per hour or once per stay. And, you know, different frequencies depending on the kind of rounding. That consistency, I think, really is is a big part of what helps drive improvements for, for the folks that are using it. With Orchid, what you've done is I'm assuming that that checklist is going to change based on what the patient is in the hospital for. Yeah, that's that's right. So the whole, I mean, across all of our products, we place a really strong emphasis on customization, on tailoring for different patient cohorts. I think one of the things that's been really interesting is to visit and, and talk with all of these different hospital executives and to see there are five different types of hospitals or, or six different types of hospitals. You've got your rural hospitals, you have your academic hospitals, you have standalone hospitals, you've got hospitals that are parts of large systems. And then you have all of these different 
capabilities within a hospital. So you have the uh, the CHF teams, you have social work, you might have home health agencies that are connected, you might have physician practices that are owned by the hospital. The hospital might be self-insured, it might be part of an ACO. And for each of those different capabilities in each of these different types of hospitals, there's different maturity levels. So in order to really have a platform that that works for any given situation, you've got to be able to move a lot of different levers. You've got to be able to really tightly match the workflow that already exists in the hospital and just enable it, just just make it a little bit easier for the folks that are using it, bring, bring some good technology into that where it makes sense. One of the the big challenges that I see in, in some of the uh, startups that I've talked to and, and advised is where they're really trying to push their process and things would work much better if we just did it our way, if, if the hospital could do it this way uh, or technology that's kind of built in a, in a single line. I think, you know, more than anything in, in the hospital space, it's just really important to kind of adapt to to the workflows that are already in place. There's a lot of positive energy. There's a lot of teams that have been built up to solve particular problems. So it's just about making that team as effective as possible. Back to the nurse. Okay, so the, the nurse has ORCID on an iPad. Mm-hmm. And she goes into the patient room. She types in the patient's name or something, and the appropriate rounding checklist pops up. Yeah, there's a couple of different ways to do it. So you can search for the patient. And so if I'm uh, you know, a CNO that's walking around the hospital, might have to search for a patient because they want to be able to see everybody. We also have a, a barcode scan. So we're able to do a barcode scan. It's uh, in testing, but it will be released probably by the time anybody's listening to this uh, interview. So you could barcode scan the patient and get the patient's information right there. And then you know, I'd say more common, the, uh, the approach is that different members of the hospital have different predefined access rights. So security is a huge concern in hospitals. It's one of the things that uh, that you know all all hospital CIOs have on their on the top three for sure of the of the list, especially after the the anthem and similar HIPAA breaches, things like that. But so what we do is we set up each of the different nurse managers with the right access permissions. So when somebody logs in, they only see the unit that they work on and they have you know a list of the 10 patients that are there. And you can organize it a couple different ways. We like to organize it by time since last round. So what we're trying to do is help the hospital have consistency about how often we're talking to that patient. Most hospitals will start off with nurse leadership trying to round on the patients once per stay. That may sound really easy. And a lot of nurses, when I say at first, that that sounds really easy. In practice, that's actually a very tough metric to achieve because of all the things I mentioned about, you know, random things that happen and codes and, and uh, JCO inspections and things like that. And then after that, we, we kind of keep up, up in the ante, raising the bar. And so we'll look for rounds once per day on a patient. And then if we've got a uh, kind of staff nurse doing doing the work, if it's checking for like the four Ps or other, other kinds of things, that would be um, hourly routing that they would be doing. Now, this is one thing that just strikes me as incredibly difficult, and you sort of alluded to it before, and that is that, you know, when you were talking about how it would be easier if the hospital would follow the best practices that Cypher Health has uncovered having done this for a number of different hospitals, but most of the time the hospital wants to use their own processes for, you know, other reasons. Do you often find, because I often see that when you're trying to define a process for someone who has been doing something for years, oftentimes they almost don't even know what they're doing. You ask them, well, what do you do when you walk into a patient room? Or what do you do when you go to complete this task that you've done a million times? And many times they can't even tell you what steps they go through. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How, how do the, what do those conversations look like? Is, it, is that very difficult? 
<laughs> so it's a really, really interesting point. I think the most recent example, I uh, was with one of our senior account managers and we were rolling out the rounding program in a hospital system in the Northwest. We asked for scripts. You know, we said, hey, what are you guys using? What are the checklists that you're using? What are the scripts that you're using? And they sent us over two or three scripts. And so we we're like, okay, great. You know, we'll put these into the tool. It doesn't take us very long to customize, fine. And then we show up and, and part of our process as we're doing the implementation is that the, uh, the account lead, the account strategist that's working on that project will actually go on rounds with a number of folks in the hospital both without any technology. So we leave all the iPads in a, in a box and we go with the nurses and we just round with them. You, you realize, okay, actually there's not two scripts. There are 40 scripts and they're all on little notepads and there's little index cards and there's, you know, other other places that they're storing these these kinds of pieces of information and you really see how sort of how complex the process can be at times and i think the the beauty of what we've built is that we're able to really have that experience with the nurse and then come back the next day literally the next day and say, okay, we, we watch you guys round. You know, we saw that you were using this checklist for this kind of patient. We saw that when you have this problem, you're, you know, reaching out to this person. We want to make sure that that happens. So if we don't have any response from them within six hours, we're going to send another alert and that's going to go to, you know, that person's boss just so that way everybody's got visibility that this is an open case. And that's, you know, that's the process during implementation. So I think you're totally right in that a lot of times folks don't realize how complex and, and how much their, <laughs> how complex their workflow is. So we, we kind of build that into our process. We try and do an observational step before we roll out the technology so we can try and capture all those corny cases. Well, obviously, you've got some experience doing that, that you have included that step in your process. <laughs> that sounds like an evolution. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, and do you also sometimes find yourself mediating, you know, internal political disputes. In other words, this one faction of nurses does something one way in a hospital and the other faction does it a, a different way and you've got to make it consistent or how does that go down? I'd say usually the nursing team is generally pretty aligned within a hospital. Sometimes in a hospital system, there's different objectives, but it's it's usually pretty close. Where where I do sometimes see myself as a mediator, where we, we definitely sometimes step in the middle of something, we're, we're often mediating between uh, the clinical teams and the, the technology teams. I have been to a number of different CIO conferences. I've talked with numerous CIOs and system CIOs. And I think part of the challenge there is just a the amount of things on the plate of the technology team, when you look at the changes to ICD codes, uh, when you look at meaningful use, when you look at EMRs and, and EMR upgrades, uh, there's also a, a really strong trend in the industry towards consolidation and towards buying up of uh, physician practices and rolling them into centralized platforms. That is a really great process. And there's, I mean, I think there's a lot of benefits to that for you know different different stakeholders, but it creates a lot of technology work, creates a lot of integration work and and needs. So I think one of the big challenges that we we always see is is making sure that all of the different stakeholders really understand what the clinical goals are for the project, uh, and trying to get you know to the place where we can have an honest conversation with the IT teams to talk about what are the objectives here and and what's the time and energy it's going to take on your end, and proving to them that there's good value there. And do you feel that the scale of Cypher Health, because you've you've grown, I mean, how many employees do you have now? We had nine people start on Monday of this week. Uh, we're, we're at uh, we're at 74 right now. Do you feel that there's that 
you have attained a size that you can help these CIOs. In other words, if you're a very small startup, you might not have the resources to necessarily step in and be able to do some of the things that you can do at your your scale. You know, on the other hand, you don't want to be too big because then you become as rigid as the company that you're working with. <laughs> yeah, I, I see what you're saying. I think we've definitely done some things that have made lives a lot easier on all sides. You know, I think we've been able to develop lots of different ways to, to get access to patient data. And so being really flexible about how we get data from our clients has, has helped ease that burden a lot. We also do single sign-on with, with our clients so that for the non-tech folks, it just means that you can enter your password once and then you can use multiple different applications. So you could use our application, you could use the EMR, you could use a, a billing system. So there's, they're all on a single password and login. So we've tried to do things like that that I think uh, help alleviate some of the concerns that, that really would be, would be tough to do if, uh, if we were just starting out. There's another program that you have or a product that you have that I they also found really interesting, which is Echo. How did that get added? Echo is a really interesting story. We hear the term connecting the dots a lot. And in this case, we had a hospital that had uh, pretty high HCAP scores, but they were looking at a particular domain around understanding of discharge instructions and didn't like what they were seeing. So they were already using ORCID, uh, which is our, our rounding tool, and they were already using voice to uh, do a phone call to the patients after they went home. And I, honestly, there's some contention over where the idea actually came from. But in, in conversations related to this, there was this thought, well, why don't we record that discharge message on ORCID? We already have the tablet. The nurse is already there. They're already talking to the patient. And then play it back to the patient after they go home on the voice call. We're already reaching 70% of the patients after they go home. If we can repeat the discharge instructions to them and give them the option to listen to it again, what is that going to do for outcomes, right? And so that, you know, that really pretty quickly turned into a, a fantastic product line for us. A lot of that is built on the back of a law that was passed in New York. Uh, and when this law came out, we were, we were sort of shocked because it's we, we call it internally the ECHO law. There's a, there's a requirement that hospitals in New York provide audio discharge instructions for the blind and visually impaired. Huh. And, and that's what we said too. <laughs> we were, uh, it's, a, it's actually a very difficult law to comply with for hospitals because if you don't have a system like Echo, what are you going to do? You know, Are you going to provide a CD? What's the mechanism for proving that you provided that CD? Where are you storing the CDs? How do you record in a hospital? Uh, so there were a number of different challenges. If you do want to just make a recording and email it to the patient, is that HIPAA secure? How are we how are we validating that? How do we validate the email? Do they have a secure email? If not, you shouldn't email it because it would be HIPAA data that's not encrypted. So it's it was really you know there were a lot of different challenges that that the hospitals that we were talking to had. Kingsbrook was the first hospital to uh, to move forward with a uh, with a solution on on Echo for that, and I think we'll be putting out a press release related to it. But we're really excited for the opportunity and also what it does for the patients. We've we've really dramatically reduced the number of questions about discharge instructions for the folks that are, are using it. It seems like uh, there's there's a good result on on readmissions as well. I, I can really see that. I mean, my, my husband recently had a very minor procedure, but he did get the some anesthesia for mm -hmm. it. And as we were sitting there in the discharge room, he's woozy. I mean, <laughs> he was just anesthetized. I'm all stressed out. The doctor comes in, rattles off about 50 things within 50 seconds, exactly. hands yeah. us this, I'm going to say, you know, this, this piece of paper with two things highlighted on it that might reflect two of the things that he had been talking about. We both yeah. walk out and have, had you asked us, 
given us a comprehension test, you know, an hour later, even in the drive home, I, I don't right. think either one of us remembered anything you said. So right. I do call it my wife's feature because I think, you know, part, <laughs> part of that is exactly what you're talking about. You know, you need your caregivers to be able to understand what's going on. You want to be able to, to hear that message again. I had a great teacher at, at, uh, at Columbia who reminded us at the beginning of class that the best way to teach was to tell them what you're going to tell them tell them and then tell them what you told them. And so in, in a way, we're, we're sort of replicating that experience. The nurse is giving the discharge instructions in the hospital and the, the patient hears it once. A lot of hospitals will do a test call to the patient in the hospital. So make sure that they have the right phone number, make sure the patient understands how they're going to access it. So they hear it that second time and then they go home and they can listen to it again when we call them with a voice program. So you're really trying to trying to improve comprehension pretty dramatically. So I understand that Cypher Health is rolling out a, a population health initiative with um, UCSF right now. What, what, what's going on with that? Yeah, that's a really exciting area for, for us. So we've had a long relationship with UCSF. We expanded into uh, the other UC hospitals. They've been a really good partner with us on voice. So we were already doing programs related to uh, bundle payments, uh, ACO type programs, uh, capitated payment programs. And so we've helped them with a number of different initiatives related to that. What we're trying to do at UCSF is to create highly structured plans of care and give their complex care team the ability to roll that out consistently for all of the different patients in the cohort. So let's say that I'm a, a diabetic. There's a set of activities that we want to have happen for that patient. There's a follow-up appointment. There's regular checking of your blood glucose. There's going in uh, and getting your HbA1c done every you know periodically. There are social steps, depending on the kinds of patients. So there might be things like arranging transport for a patient that's unable to. There might be home health visits for, for certain folks. There's a lot of different things that you want to have happen. And all of those different tasks to date have all been stored at best in a very complicated Excel file. But as we're talking to most hospitals and most case management teams, typically those kinds of actions are not stored in any, any sort of structured system. That's all kind of what the case management worker is, is using to manage their day-to-day -day work. What UCSF was looking for was a way to take these care plans that they've created. They were part of a district program, and, and under that, they were able to create numerous complex care programs and protocols for uh, different types of patients. And they want a technology platform that allows them to implement those really consistently and to identify which of the steps in those protocols are most important. So I think in, in the space of population health, there's still a lot of learning to do. And we've just started to get to the place where care providers are really responsible for really the end-to-end -end, uh, success of the patient. And so um, what we're creating is a platform to you know, both manage the individuals through that process, but also aggregate a lot of that data to identify meaningful action steps that you can do to improve the outcomes for the cohort. Is this a sort of single disease management approach? In other words, are you focusing on patients with diabetes or is it more of a comprehensive approach in which, you know, you're focusing on either multiple diseases or patients that have multiple diseases? Yeah, you, you can almost think it like think of it as order sets for complex care patients or order sets that go beyond one particular hospital or one particular procedure. So what you're able to do is say, okay, I've got this patient. I want to enroll them in a baseline complex care program. So that might have personality conversations and interviews to measure patient activation. It might have regular touch bases to talk to the patient about their health literacy and to try and improve health literacy. And then I'm going to layer on top of that specific plans based on the cohort. 
cohort. So the way that it works is you can enroll patients in, in several different plans. So I might have a smoking cessation plan and I might enroll a patient in that. I might have a, a program for uh, diabetics. And so I would enroll the patient in that. And we, we sort of seamlessly aggregate and, and integrate those three different plans and come up with a very clear list of the next steps and the action steps for each of the different people that are engaged in that patient's outcome. It's really nice because it also lets you assign different team members to different types of tasks. So I may have the social work team take care of you know these this thirty percent of tasks, but I also have a, a nurse that's going to work with a patient on on these tasks, and I also have an appointment scheduler and a scheduling office that's going to go through and for our high risk patients, they're going to go ahead and set up the appointments. So there might be a few tasks that get assigned to that team. So again, it, it kind of follows some of the things I was talking about earlier, trying to create a system that lets you leverage the existing teams that you have in a way that helps you achieve these these new objectives that are that are based on the new regulatory drivers. So let me ask you a very specific question about that because I've I've actually been doing a bunch of work right now with trying to integrate care plans for various conditions. For example, I just happen to know this off the top of my head that 44% of <laughs> of the patients with diabetic peripheral neuropathy. In other words, they're diabetics, so these are high-risk patients who have had the nerve endings in their, you know, fingers and toes start to shrink in a very unscientific uh, explanation. <laughs> 44% of those patients also have lower back pain. So if you start to treat the lower back pain, you make it very difficult to manage the peripheral neuropathy and, you know, because patients get dizzy and they're likely to fall anyway, but they're much more likely to fall if you're giving them medications for lower back pain. So I guess my question is, do you have some sort of approach to intermingle care plans? Because generally speaking, all the evidence-based medicine is very linear to one one mm -hmm. particular care path for one particular condition. I think that last that last point is it's kind of what we're what we're aiming to do. I I'd say everybody that's working on the project would agree with what you're saying. You know, and I think it's a really it's a complex challenge to to manage. So there's a couple of things that we're we're trying to do, but I first and foremost, we're trying to measure this stuff. We're trying to see, you know, for a patient with these conditions, what are the actions that are really effective in, in driving an outcome? And to date, there hasn't really been a great way of measuring, you know, did we accomplish all these tasks? Did some of these cast tasks get dismissed? You know, some of these interventions get dismissed because we weren't able to achieve it for this kind of patient for, you know, X reason or Y reason. We're hopefully going to be creating a data set that helps us resolve some of those concerns. I'd say more directly, we focus on bringing the highest risk patients to the to sort of the front of our application. So there's a number of different ways that we can we can raise the visibility on a type of patient. And if we've got folks that are um, you know, in, in this comorbid situation, if we've got folks that have multiple conditions, if they've got multiple plans that are assigned, those really are treated at a, at a higher level with more attention than patients that are easier to manage lower risk patients. So I think some of it is also around kind of figuring out what's the, what's the level of visibility and, and the level of really like the, the level of human thought that needs to go into managing a patient's care. Because for some of these complex patients, there's not an easy way to do it. What you do want is you want after the after the case manager and the social worker who have talked through this patient's concern and said, okay, look, this this person has back pain, and so we really don't want to give them a, an opiate because we're worried that they're going to get dizzy and fall. What do we want to do for that patient? You know, they have a conversation and they say, okay, well, let's definitely increase the number of home health visits. Let's make sure that we're doing a check-in regularly related to the back pain. Let's maybe assign a physical therapist so that they can go after and and help you know the patient work on their their lower back pain or a masseuse. 
I don't know if massage would help, but <laughs> I hope it would. I hope it would. <laughs> Me too. Uh, they, they'd feel better, at least. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think what we're trying to do is make it possible for folks to have that discussion, capture those actions, and then make sure those actions are performed. And and if that works, if at the end of the day, you know, this was a patient that self-reported, you know, uh, activity level increases and their mobility increases, and we can measure that through uh, keeping track of their steps, wearing a Fitbit or something like that. Then, then we know this plan works, and now we can save that plan and we can apply it to the next patient that comes through. And I think that's that's actually a really you know a nice way to frame the example for for what we're trying to accomplish in the program. What's going on in the marketplace right now that you're paying attention to, Zach? I think there's a, a bunch of different things. You know, it's um it's become more complex to manage the marketplace and to to keep abreast of what's going on as we have different products that that launch out of our platform. So it used to be that there was a very small subset of competitors that we were working with or working against in voice. We have a rounding tool, so there's another group of folks that are related to that. This, uh, as we enter the population health space, it seems like every company at least says that they have a population health management solution. But I'd say the the one that we're I'm most interested in, and there's there's actually two. There's two that I'm I'm really interested in, and we're we're talking to you know, or about quite a bit. One is HealthKit. I think uh, what Apple's done with HealthKit is really really interesting, and they've made it a lot easier for folks to get access to and to aggregate all of the data that's being collected around us all the time. I like to say that Apple's trying to make health data ubiquitous, and so we really capture all of it and put it in its right place. The success of that is really important for us because our our objective here is to make that health data actionable. And so I think what we're trying, you know, we're hoping for is that there's there's really good adoption of things like HealthKit and you know iHealth devices, so that as that data becomes more prevalent, we can feed that into you know the models and the systems that we have to to really drive some some amazing clinical outcomes. In the same in the same vein, I think one of the other interesting things, and um, I don't know. Folks may not have heard that much about it since uh, since Watson beat the folks on on Jeopardy, but we've you know we've done a number of different conversations with the with the folks at Watson. We've thought a lot about how natural language processing and how complex data analytics can can really improve or augment some of the services that we have. So I think both of those are kind of just interesting things that are happening that we are we're definitely thinking about. Okay, so HealthKit and IA, artificial intelligence. Given, <laughs> given your track record with coming up with successful innovations, my friend, I have made a note. <laughs> where, where can people learn more about Cypher Health if they're interested? If folks want to learn more, we have a great website that we've put together. So it's cypherhealth.com. And also feel free to you know send us an email at uh, info at cypherhealth.com. That'll, that'll wind up at uh, our desk too. And I'm happy to reach out and answer any questions that anybody has. Thank you so much for being on the program today. Thank you, Stacey. Really was fun. Links to everything discussed during the episode today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. I'll tell you the other thing that you will find at RelentlessHealthValue.com, and that is a way to subscribe to the show. If you subscribe, the cool thing is that you don't have to remember to go to the website every week to download the new episode. It will automatically be sent to you in one of two ways. The first way is you can type in your email address 
in the, there's a, a sidebar on the right hand side of the website where you will find a place that you could type in your email address and then you will get an email once a week with a, a link to download the episode. So that's one way to go. The second is also in that same right hand sidebar on the Relentless Health Value website, you will find a large orange dot. If you click on that dot, then you'll get taken to a place where you can click on the subscribe button in iTunes. If you click on that, then each week your iTunes will automatically download the episode, which you could choose to listen to on your computer or on the podcast app on your mobile phone. If you enjoyed this episode, please, I beg you, uh, it would be really, really helpful if you would rate and review the show either on iTunes or interact with us on Twitter. Our uh, Twitter handle is Relentless with only one S, health. So Relentless with only one S, health. I would love to hear from you. We would find it very inspiring over here at the Relentless Health Value podcast. I thank you so much for tuning in and so much for spending the time with us. Thank you.